We got video. Cool. Looks like Friday afternoon, noon here at Eastern Time. Alongside me, of course, Mr. Nathan Turner. How are you, my man? I'm doing well. I like that intro music. That's cool. Man. Oh, thank <laughs> you. I'm just playing with things this morning. I have a few minutes. So, We have a special guest with us today, Mr. Sander. Uh, before we dive into stuff, Sander has been in the business for a long time as well. Um, I know he's been bouncing around all kinds of things going on. He's kind of quiet in most parts uh, because he's busy, right? Uh, but before we get into his, what he does and what he wants to talk about, Nathan, how are you doing this week? What's going on with you? Anything that's come up recently for you? We're good. I'm actually, I'm just waiting any minute now. FedEx truck's going to come over here, deliver me my check from a deal I've been trying to get done for months, oh. months and months. And then tomorrow. It's almost like, it's like you get excited about that kind of stuff. Our wife gets excited about Amazon truck showing up, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah. So I wanted to let everyone know we're going to be launching a, a mastermind kind of mentorship kind of group. We're going to be doing it. Um, it's going to be spelled out with the idea of it's going to be a little different from a lot of them out there. The idea is we'll be meeting biweekly Sunday evenings uh, for about an hour and a half. We're doing some education. It won't particularly be all about notes, but it's going to be an investment community. And then what's going to happen on the other weeks uh, on every week, you're going to meet in small pods, four, five, six people. And your, the idea is you're going to grow as together as a unit. So I'm hoping that this becomes something that people lean on each other on an ongoing basis, that you guys can help each other and be supportive of each other. And in the larger group, we'll get together biweekly on Sunday evenings and do a little education, bring some special guests on, um, and then talk about hurdles that the group has had. So we're excited about launching this. You'll be getting an email from us this afternoon. So keep an eye out for that from trade desk at jkpholdings.com. Um, also, if you haven't seen our calculators out there, you can get photos of the property. Um, I know some questions about, you know, if you need a debt license in certain states, that's in there. Uh, we actually added the agents from the resource list that people have done. We've added the attorneys who are licensed in that state. And we also added the servicers, so you can find out who can, you know, service your loan once you purchase it. So, my spiel's done. Let's welcome in Sundor. How are you doing this Friday afternoon? I'm great. It's a great day to be alive. Thanks very much, Dave, for everyone out there. <laughs> no I get a somewhat difficult name. It's pronounced Shondor, like Sean Connery. Shondor. Okay. Like Shondor. Sean Connery walks in the door. <laughs> so, You've been in second space, which me and Nathan are not as familiar with as we are in first. So before yeah, you got into, what's that? I was just going to say, before the call, we were talking and both of us have bought some by accident, but <laughs> yeah. not on purpose. I know. I know. We bought some performers that were like thrown at us like, okay, here, take them, take them. Okay, we'll buy them. Yeah. So, so I think the biggest question people have when we get into this space is, where were you just before you started note investing? 
How did you get introduced to note investing and how did you transition? And why did you so choose seconds instead of first? That's what I want to know. <laughs> yeah. So a little bit of background I like to tell people. Yeah. I'm, I'm a recovering indie filmmaker and I became an indie banker. <laughs> Being a filmmaker, it's a great way to, to make a, a small fortune in documentary filmmaking. Start with a large fortune and then spend your time and energy on filmmaking. So I realized this is this is not going to work out. I had to make a drastic change in my life just in 2007, just as the recession was started before we even knew. The data wasn't there, but it was already happening. I came back to the, I was living overseas in New Zealand, came back to the U.S., like super broke, uh, standing with mom and dad in the RV. My dad, like I mean, a grown man, like cut a piece of plywood and laid it across the front seat. And I just had a foam pad and a sleeping bag there. I'm like, nice. I need to make change. Read some books. They're like, oh, real estate. Every other book's like, okay, you want to make a lot of money? Have a lot of money and you'll just earn interest on it and make more. Like, that's nice for everyone. But so I read Real Estate Riches by Dr. Dolph DeRuz. The subtitle is How to, how, how to Make Money with Your Banker's Money. And it's the simplest concept of real estate investing. Buy a house, the right house, where the rent pays for the mortgage and more. And I thought it's super simple. Uh, and wrote a lot of offers 2007, none of them were accepted. All of a sudden, 2008, these offers start uh, working out a lot better, and I've got a portfolio ahead. By 2010, I had 48, I think, rental units, mostly in the Midwest, Kansas City. I had all these spreadsheets. They're like, oh, this is great cash flow. Oh, here's the rent of all these, and here's the mortgage. It's supposed to be like double, but it's just, it's just, it's just a piece of paper. Could never make up for all the people who cheated out of the rent, broke things, stole things. Mm -hmm. Like, I had this just fantasy, and no one else is responsible that that there's cash cash flowing and hassle free rental properties. It's so much work. And being I, I live in the great state of Oregon on the West Coast, high property values, exceptionally difficult to cash flow with rentals. And I just mm -hmm. kept looking. I knew there had to be another way. I read one book about, oh, how to buy properties at a big discount. And there's one paragraph that's like, oh, you can just buy the note from the bank. And I'm like, what? Yeah. No one told me about what this. What does that before. mean? Yeah. So this, is, this was early 2013. I just seized on that. And I'm like, wow. I'm going to read every book about this. And at the time, there were three books <laughs> about this. I read all of them. And uh, one of them, the author was still alive. I emailed her. I'm like, I, teach me. She's like, no, go to paper source. So I did. I went to I went to noteworthy conference. Went to paper source conference, and you know, a few months later, months later, I was handing over fifty thousand dollars to some people who turned about out to be like not very trustworthy. We oh, did eventually no. get our our notes, our seconds at the time from fifteen yeah. cents on the dollar. I know. Oh. But it just made absolute sense, right? You're investing in these mortgages. I, and and you asked about how I learned, you know, I learned from going to conferences. Yeah. My number one source that started me out was Gordon Moss, who still my mentor and guru in this. And he he's a seconds guy. He explains seconds so clearly and articulately. It's just yeah. like an option. And think of it in real estate world, you put down a very small down payment, three and a half percent down for hmm. an owner-occupied FHA loan, of which you can have exactly one. 
you do that. And if you got your rental property, right, you're house hacking. And I did this for a number of years when I was getting yep. started out, I was Airbnb at my own house, sleeping on the floor at the office and renting out my bed <laughs> to other people so I could pay the free rent for my tenants in Kansas City to enjoy the, the benefits. But I did what I had to do to succeed and could see note investing. It's easy to see this is like, oh, yeah. you get to start licking your chops. This is going to be fast money. It's slow money. It's like regular real estate investing, right? Yeah. A lot of seconds yeah. takes time. Yeah. What's, your, what's your return? If you pay $10,000 for a loan and year one, you get nothing. Two, you get nothing. Three, you get nothing. Four, you get nothing. And year five, you pay 10, you get 60. That's a 100% annualized return, but it looks like nothing, 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 nothing. Yeah. 100% return. So seconds, yeah. the uh, paper stack, uh, which I love. It's it's a great uh, exchange for notes. They just published some data today for yeah. all their transactions for 2020 that, that bears out so well my own experience in the seconds market. The price, the percentage uh, of the unpaid principal balance that you'll be paying for seconds. When I started 2013, paying like 15 cents on, on the dollar. Yeehaw. Mm -hmm. Now you're going to be paying a lot more. Yeah. I, I completed a trade this week where I was paying an average of 41, 42 cents on the dollar. And I, I, I lost most of my bids, right? When I started, I figured out yeah. you should lose at least half your bids mm -hmm. uh, or you're paying too much. Mm -hmm. Now I'm losing a lot more than half my bids. Mm -hmm. and, and I fully accept that because I'm getting, I'm getting a very curated portfolio. But the data from Paperstack bears out my experience. The average price paid for the note as a reflection of the value of the underlying property is 3%, just like an FHA down payment. But unlike the FHA down payment, if that FHA house goes wrong, you can't collect rent, tenants break something, some something disastrous happens, you're on the hook for the other 97%. With the notes, you buy a second, say you, I mean, for, for round numbers, right? There is, you're buying a, a loan on a, a $100,000 house. There's a $75,000 first mortgage. Say, say there's a $100,000 first mortgage and a $20,000 second, and you pay 3% for the second. If it goes disastrously wrong, all you're out for is the 3% of the value of the house. If, you, if it goes wrong with your rental property, you discover some environmental damage, it was a meth house, you know, there's there's a nuclear waste discovered under the property site. It's all on your head. Gordon Moss, my mentor and hero, explains this perfectly. It's just like options in stock investing. It gives you the right to buy, but not the obligation to buy. You get all mm. the benefits of real estate, including all the, the simple strategies that I learned from Dolph Daru's book, Real Estate Riches. Real estate over the long term goes up. The first mortgage eventually gets paid down and your mortgage rate and mortgage payment stay the same. United States, and I think my best understanding is that United States and Denmark are the only countries in the world with 30-year fixed mortgages. And now money is on sale. Mortgage rates, boohoo real estate investors, mortgage rates just went up to 3%. Yeah. They're giving it away. <clears throat> so, so it's interesting with Gordon, like, that's how I finally understood seconds because I had heard about them and I, people were talking about, it, especially early on. Uh, Dave Van Horn was a big advocate, yeah. and you know I heard a lot about him. But 
I, I just, I couldn't make them make sense. And it wasn't until I read Gordon's book and I'm like, ah, I get it. It's long-term. <laughs> and for me, that was a completely foreign uh, mentality because I've always, my, my real estate background was flipping houses. So I was always about the quick money. So when I started looking at seconds and then I read that and it went, oh, it's, it's long-term. Oh, I get it. That's why you would want to do that. So let me explain to those people maybe turning in. What does long-term mean? Why is it long-term? So in most times when you're buying seconds, you're not looking immediate for cash flow, right? You may be buying something that may have equity, may not have equity. And like, what, what I think what we're explaining is the fact that it's a period of time that you're waiting for it to return your capital to you. But once it does, the return can be astronomical. It's crazy. Some of the returns I've seen in seconds, right? But you may shelf it for four or five years. So for the record, it tends to be long-term. It can be fast. Like yes, you, in every negotiation in the field of business, you get things and you give things, right? Yeah. If you're buying regular houses, you have a great deal of choice. You mm. have got a stack of money and you can buy any house you want, mm -hmm. but you, you don't control necessarily the behavior of your contractors, the costs. You don't control how much molds they find or whatever they find behind the walls. Mm -hmm. So you have control over this. You, you got your crew there. Um, you can try and make it go right, but it's your timeline. You own that property. Seconds, you don't own the property. No. You can't, no human being can really make any other human being do anything. Mm -hmm. It is the borrower's house and it's theirs to do with what they want. But being in seconds, one of the great things I love is creating win-wins and to a certain degree have aligned interests with the borrower. They want to keep their home it's their house it's they you think of this like you got your fha down payment and you got the world's best property manager they take care of it like it's theirs because it is theirs and so give an ex can you give an example of a story like that where you're in a situation that give an example give some you know a, a, a case study could kind of say regarding that yeah case study um win-win Win-win example, kind of one of our charity cases. I, I, I'm one here in my hometown in Portland, Oregon. We, we've got a portfolio all over, but uh, our borrower um, has a lot of equity, bought the house back in the day. Prices have gone up astronomically, but she and her husband are just kind of working class people. She makes mm -hmm. 10, 12, $14 an hour at the supermarket. Forgot all about this second loan. This, this happens all the time. People, people stop paying in the recession. You know, most of the loans, almost all the seconds out in the marketplace, bank seconds anyway, were originated 2002 to 2007. Yeah. Mm -hmm. People had a lot of problems around 2008 and 2009. Mm -hmm. They stopped paying on their loans yeah. sometime in the Great Recession. The bank sent a couple letters that said, we'd really prefer you to start paying again. <laughs> had other problems. They didn't pay. They forgot about it. You buy the loan. You try and get in touch with the borrowers, send a door knocker, make some phone calls, send letters. It, it usually doesn't work, right? This kind of marketing, they can continue. Human beings respond to consequences. They'll usually continue ignoring it. Our, our borrower in Portland, we're, we'll call her by her first initial K. So we get in touch with her before she's a rational person and she actually responds to us before we have to go start the legal foreclosure process puts in an application and says, listen, really sorry, takes, takes responsibility for her situation. She did take this money. 
great. That's the kind of people we love to work with. And we get on a plan that says, okay, you're going to pay $200 a month, but we get deadlines, right? There's money and time, time, time value of money. You have two years to sort this out and find another solution, right? We're here to be a bridge to, to something better for you, but we're not here to do it forever. A lot of people will write their modifications for their second mortgages out 30 years. It's very common practice in the industry. I don't want, like every monthly payment is a new risk, a new opportunity. You got two parties to the transaction. One party has already provided all their value. They took the money, they got the loan. And the other party has an opportunity has has an obligation but to make their their uh, payments every month but they can choose every single month to default on that that obligation something can go wrong so we're looking for them to find a better way to deal with this and for most people it's just to refinance two years is plenty of time to rebuild your credit get more seniority your job start making some more money and get a bank or some other private lender to take on that responsibility or, or win the lottery, whatever. But then we get full cash out, they get to keep their home. Foreclosure in seconds and foreclosure in general, in my opinion, bad, terrible for everyone out of, I don't know, somewhere close to 300 loans in my time in the business. I think we foreclosed on maybe a dozen mm -hmm. and it works out very moderately well. You know, you really do this on, on ones where there's a significant amount of equity and borrowers are just absolutely refusing to cooperate. That's part of human nature. There's each individual person's behavior is, is unknowable and unpredictable just from looking at a spreadsheet. But aggregate it's totally irrational. Yeah, yeah, but right. aggregate human behavior yeah. is very predictable. Yeah. Some people will pay and some people will refuse all the time. Some people will put their head in the sand and complain after it's all over, oh, you never told me? And, and some people will lawyer up and, and try and cheat out of it. That's a reality of this business that anyone who wants to get into note investing, you don't have to accept it if you don't want to, but reality is not dependent upon your opinion. It is how human behavior works. Yeah. What do you think your biggest concern when you first got into seconds? What was that uncertainty that you had? Besides being new, of course, but what was that thing about seconds that you tell people now that you remember when you were there this is how you had over that hurdle. It was, it seemed too good to be true. I had to prove it out. And frankly, you know, I was kind of waiting to bear out the results. It takes a while. Foreclosure process takes a while. The foreclosure, starting the foreclosure process is generally what prompts people to action. Human beings respond to consequences. So it takes a long time to get your notes. This one, the seller that we bought from in the beginning, one of our loans took like 11 months to get how can you invest more money into this thing when you hand over cash to someone? And they're like, oh, sorry, thank you for the money, but we'll, we'll get you your product when it's convenient for us. They had double sold the loan. Oh. I know I know, because I bought it later from the, person, the other person oh. they sold it to. I'm like, oh, I recognize this. Oh, yeah. So, but this, this is also part of all human nature. There are many dishonest people, for lack of a better world, in all aspects of business. It's a small minority of the population, but in, in notes business, in real estate business, this is a reality that, that we're all better off understanding and accepting. Arguing with reality will never, ever change it. Mm -hmm. so, so with seconds, 
your due diligence is different from ours, right? Quite different. You don't do everything that we do. And there's some things that we should do, like credit, pull credit report. Nathan, I don't think you do either. It's a great idea, but it's one thing we don't do. How would you say your due diligence goes? What are the things you look for and are concerned with? The number one thing you're looking, you know, if you're investing in first mortgages, the number one thing you're looking at is your collateral and your security. What is the yeah. value of this house? Especially with the overwhelming majority of the market in firsts is low value houses in the South and Midwest. But if Zillow says it's worth $50,000, there's like at the high and low ends of the housing mm -hmm. spectrum, there's so much variation in values. Zillow says it's 50. If you've got the wrong environmental conditions at this house, you might need to pay someone $10,000 to scrape it. Mm -hmm. Likewise, at the very high end of the market, you get a $10 million house. The Zillow's valuation could be a little bit off. It's a very specialty product. So I like to be in the high, middle to high end of the market. My specialty really is half a million dollar plus houses in non-judicial states. Practically speaking, that's primarily California, which also has a very long statute of limitations, which is really one of my favorite things uh, about California. You can sit and wait for a long time for the house to gain appreciation. But you asked, you asked about due diligence. So absolutely, we're checking the credit report. And there's really only one thing that we're looking for about everything else. First mortgage, how much do they owe? And are they paying? If someone is paying two, three, four, five thousand dollars a month on their first mortgage, guess what? They can probably afford a little bit more on their second. If they're not paying the first mortgage, uh, this is this is quite an indicator to us. But also a very changed thing in the world of COVID. There, anyone can just go to their bank. They don't. They have to attest, which is to say, mm -hmm. not prove. Oh, Your Honor, I've had my life has been impacted by COVID. Mm -hmm. Is that so? Tell me yeah. why you're special. But they can yeah. do this and get a free holiday with very limited consequences from their bank. And this has worked in our favor in, in many workouts we've done this year. Mm -hmm. Example, another, another example in Portland, borrowers were two sisters, musicians. Mm -hmm. we, we were watching the credit report closely. They stopped paying their first mortgage. Wow. And and just as we are beginning our negotiations with them, guess what? With a, taking a holiday from the first mortgage, they can afford to start paying their second mortgage. Yeah. So they have been right and tight. They pay early every month mm. after they're obviously unable to continue their careers as as musicians. They went back to school, got student loans. We're going to see what what happens when their forbearance finally ends. But that first mortgage, back to your to your question, Dave, is so crucial. It it tells you their financial capacity, but it tells you even more importantly, human desire. How important is this house to them? Guess and what? Do, if they're paying four thousand dollars a month on the first mortgage, pretty important. Yeah. So do you find that information from their credit report? You find that yeah, they're paying the yeah, first mortgage that, from the yeah, credit that, report. Yeah, that that is where. Um, sometimes it won't be reporting to credit. And frankly, some of my best specialties and favorites are, are uh, people where it's the first mortgage is not reporting on the credit. It scares people off, right? Human, mm -hmm. I, uh, a confused mind always says no. Yeah. The more tricky it is, the more confusing it is, the fewer people wanting to bid on it, giving us greater opportunity. It's probably not reporting because it's, 
they've done bankruptcy. So they're, they're not personally liable for the debt any longer. The lien is still on the property. You still have the right to exercise uh, your, your rights to foreclose as a lender. You're not pursuing a judgment against the borrowers. You're just trying to exercise your right to get your collateral back because they failed to meet their obligations. And frankly, in almost every case we've seen that a lawyer misadvised them on what the consequences of this were. So you can figure out, there if, even if it's not on the credit report, there are ways of figuring it out. Uh, checking title as well. Title just tells you what liens there are. It is, it's not giving you month by month update on whether they're paying, but it shows whether or not other parties are foreclosing. So you can see if there's been a Liz pendants filed on the property by the first mortgage or, or other lenders, frankly, and make your, your assessments from there. But I'm typically, I love to bid like, 10 cents on the dollar on seconds where the first mortgage is unknown, unknown to the seller who's selling a stack of paper and doesn't have time to go through every fine point detail. Yeah. yeah. Unknown to them, but it can be known to you if you do your, your property, proper due diligence. And the other, the other main thing we're looking for, we're checking credit, trying to figure out what they're, whether they're paying the first uh, on, on time and on schedule that tells us they have a job or some form of income they like to keep there. And you just look at these values of houses that have been going up ever since I started in this business. Last I checked, the market does move in cycles. And frankly, 2017, I was thinking we're at the end of a cycle. Wrong. <laughs> yeah. Another market fundamental reality yeah. is it's just a scarce resource. People built so many of these houses in the real estate boom and then stopped building. We, housing was way undersupplied before COVID hit, before lumber prices went through the roof, before dramatic decrease in, in construction. And it's going to be years before the housing can catch up with the population demand for a place to live. A strong market fundamental. All human so, beings. So just... Josh asked a question regarding, you know, do you find that if you're investing long term, do you see it as a gamble? Or how do you project out that far and say it's an investment versus a gamble versus hoping appreciation, hoping that this bar will come around? How do you persuade that understanding if you're talking to another investor that it's not a gamble? It's actually an investment. And then you must be paying attention much more closely to statute of limitations as well then. Quite closely, yes. A much yeah. bigger issue. You know, we're buying loans in 2013, they're only defaulted recently. Uh, statute of limitations is a very big deal. And sometimes it, it forces yeah. our hand when I would rather sit tight. Sure. But in, okay, in regular real estate investing or even first mortgage investing, right? You've got tight timelines. You want to turn this over. If you've got borrowers who are not paying, you have no idea what they're doing. Do they live there? Is it a crack house? Is it a meth house? You have no control and you have no idea. Seconds investing, it does take a long time. Sign the contract, send the money. Maybe it's a week, maybe it's a month before you get the collateral. Maybe it's another month before you can transfer servicing. Maybe it's another month before you send a notice of demand. It takes a very long time for unknown results. And then you have to decide if borrowers are not communicating back, whether you're gonna press it to foreclosure, which in many states takes years, in many states takes half a decade, or you're gonna sit tight 
for your position to improve or and you can learn so much about the borrowers on their social media too linkedin is my favorite right it's for professionals it's going to tell you where they work and what they do you can google roughly how much someone in that profession in that area makes yeah and if they're a federal if they're any kind of public employee yeah you can usually look up exactly how much they make so yeah. when you're bidding, so interesting. It, Our it, borrowers it's are public. far from that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, and typical, you know, the assets we're I think our average value of house in our portfolio is probably 70 or 80, right? But you know, we shoot for the 200s, we have a few that are higher level stuff, and then we have those who are our bond level is 50 grand. I won't buy a thirty thousand dollar first. Me too. That just won't do it. But when you're buying these things. Are you bidding it through a calculator? Are you bidding it based on a UPB? How are you typically bidding these um, assets? Yeah, uh, yeah. A percentage of UPB? I don't use a calculator. There are many calculators for seconds sure. out there. Um, maybe there are people smarter than me who know how to use a calculator, but there's so many instinctual variables gotcha. that, that it's very hard to break down into quantifiable data for let's face it, a smaller investor like me, like someone who owns thousands of loans, they are using a lot of this this big data to make those decisions. Sure. I don't know some algorithm that's going to go f- figure out what percentage of your borrowers can you figure out how much they make. You know, you go on their social media, see, see how much they whine, like inverse correlation between whining and financial success. <laughs> so let's take that into consideration. You can see how old they are as well. Sometimes a lot of some of our borrowers uh, Sean is kind of a cupcake. Older people, I might just, who who are retired on a fixed income and clearly have no capacity to pay. It might be in your best interest to just sit tight and and let them enjoy your life while they take care of your rental property and pay down the first mortgage on it. Yeah. So we just factor in so many things. How much do do we assume the property is going to appreciate? How well do they take care of the house? Uh, you know, I like to see people who are are in a happy, stable relationship with two adults, it, earning adults in the house. Uh, people love to see people with investment properties or other assets that they can call on to to meet their obligations, should they so choose. Uh, people's history of bankruptcies, history of litigation. We get people who are who are litigious. I, I would usually rather pass. The cost of proving yourself right is astronomically high. I'll, I'll give you a real example from the portfolio. We had uh, a lien on, uh, on a nice, you know, six, $700,000 house in LA Metro. And we could see it was listed for sale, cha-ching, perfect, with enough equity to pay us out. We, we uh, contacted the realtor to say, you, you can't, you gotta buy very closely by Fair Debt Collection Practices Act, we just contacted the realtor and said, we, would, we really need to be in touch with uh, your clients about a private matter. They ignored it and they sold the house without releasing our lien. They just convinced the title company to insure over it. No oh, this is, this is nonsense. You don't have to worry about this. Wow. So what, what are we left to do? The borrowers don't even own the house anymore. New, yeah. new owners bought the house in good faith, paid good money, got a loan, but they don't have clear title. No. They paid a title insurance company good money to mm-hmm. give them clean and insurable title. 
-hmm. our only thing we can do is to start foreclosing foreclosing on the house of these poor people who did everything right Mm -hmm. and eventually we end up in in a legal dispute not with the former borrowers or their realtors who are the ones who cheated out of it but with the title company yep wow who who has who's interested in making sure they don't set case law precedent who has indefinite resources yeah to cheat out of their mistake they guaranteed people something that wasn't true if they were going to do the the right thing oh sorry uh what's the full payoff on your lien here's the money apologize for causing you all this trouble instead mm-hmm. we we ended up going to mediation with them after and spending almost a hundred thousand dollars on attorneys to prove we're right and basically just get back our attorney fees and roughly the cost of the loan that we paid for which was like 20 cents on the dollar at the time yeah. so we probably you know we probably would have made hundred and twenty thousand dollars profit on it but as ray liotto said in a gangster film it may have been good fellas being right isn't a bulletproof vest yeah you have to plan to lose a few but the great thing about seconds is you just have to get back to your your question is it a gamble or an investment you give up the certainty of the timing in exchange for extraordinarily high returns because you're using so much leverage. Another, a great example of this, um, this house in Vallejo, California, sort of excerpts of the Bay Area, beautiful golf course community. At the time we bought it for 10 cents on the dollar for a large second, I don't know, $100,000-ish second. It was way underwater, but we could see they're paying $4,000 a month on the first. They're paying down like $1,500 a month in principal on the first in an area that you can just see the prices are going up and up and up. So we wait till it's full equity and, the, and, and then press them. We can also see you get more sophisticated borrowers. They also got sophisticated lawyers to try, to try and cheat out of it. So we ended up doing a lot of negotiation with their lawyers, but, but, um, at the end, we got the borrowers to, they, they filed bankruptcy to try and get out of it. They tried to sue us to try and get out of it. In the end, they, they, they were forced to drop the suit because they had no merits. They paid, you know, something we paid maybe $10,000 for and sat and waited for five years. Then we got a $25,000 down payment from them and like $2,000 a month. This is a public employee. So I'd look up how much he's making on the public records as, as, an engineering manager for a large public utility. Wow. And so since then, long time, every time. It's very much a different game. It's, it's yeah. the same game, but a different game altogether. Um, we're playing soccer, you're playing basketball, and we're, you yeah. know, we're playing a game with the ball. But, <laughs> but fundamentally, yeah. people want to keep their house. And yeah, to yeah. your point on, on, on how long you have to wait, this is, this is a statistic from before the great recession but at that time you know 2006 the average tenure of home ownership in the united states was like seven years, seven years. people yeah. move yep so some loans you try to communicate with people you got to decide how hard to press them foreclosure to start legal action or just sit and wait a lot of loans i mean in in you guys in your in your uh, mastermind you're starting on you're going to talk about other things other mm-hmm. kinds of investment i'm i'm a crypto guy as well this model it came from a, you know, a term on a, on yeah. a, a crypto chat room someone just mistyped whole wow. but it became an industry term 
for hold on for dear life. Just <laughs> wait. There's going to be a title company eventually. Property does trade hands, and a title company who's doing a refinance, they're 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 selling the property. Someone has died. A lot of borrowers are going to argue. Oh, I didn't buy this. It's not fair. The title company doesn't argue. How much do we owe you? Send the statement. We'll send yeah. the wire. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, we're definitely, you know, I've been pushed to look about cryptos myself from my friend Jack and all that stuff, but um, it's definitely a different world. Um, and a lot of people are scared by it because it's unknown, but it's coming quickly. So I posted in the chat box, one of the questions just came up um, that from Nico. So it was a question about, you know, how do you reach out to the homeowner? What's your typical strategy? Um, you know, and how do you wake up that borrower? Is there a strategy you use besides saying demand letters and things like that? Uh, and I'm seeing I'm seeing Nico's question here too. And I mentioned maybe 10% or, or less of foreclosures. What I mean by that is completed foreclosures and actually took the house back. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, usually you have to start foreclosure. I mean, steps, steps to it, right? You have to send, yeah. and I don't even, our servicer, Allied Servicing, who I cannot say enough good things about. They take so, such good care of us. They know all these rules, different states and different regulations. You have to send, you have to get under their servicing, send a, send a welcome pack, make some phone calls. That doesn't work. Next step is send a demand letter. It's just first-class mail. It's a legal letter. It says, hey, you, you owe this money. Here's the specific amount. And it starts to talk cl clock ticking. In most states, it's going to depend on the state laws you might be able to start a more formal foreclosure proceeding where you actually record it at the county as a Liz pendants or lawsuit pending in, in judicial states or notice of default. Typically in non-judicial states, we often have to resort to that. We hate doing it because this is, the more responsive the borrowers are, the more options they have. We've had, it has been baffling to me how many people have been able to refinance straight out of default. If they're paying the first mortgage and many mm -hmm. times, it's been so long since they defaulted on their second mortgage. It stays on your credit report for seven years. If it's off the credit report, a lot of banks doing, doing refinances are checking less closely, especially if they're refinancing it with another HELOC. Oh my um, Lord. That, that they're really not taking that into consideration. Somewhat, the shareholders of large banking institutions are giving refinances to people who are in default on their current debt, blows my mind. But that's a win-win for everyone. If you have to foreclose, yeah. um, if you have to foreclose, this is bad news. <laughs> it's not bad news for everyone. It's good news for your realtor, yeah. and it's good news for your lawyer. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it's bad. It's very bad news for the homeowner, and it's not really that good news for you as an investor. It's so much. So much of the. Of of the profit is just taken up by transaction costs. Yeah. Yeah. Legal fees. All of a sudden, all your business partner, the homeowner, the greatest property manager in the world, it's not their house anymore. They're probably going to stop paying the lawn. They're probably mowing the lawn, probably stop paying the utility bills. And not only do you have to pay your lawyer, it's probably in your best interest to keep the first mortgage current mm -hmm. yeah. on behalf of the former owners, or they're going to start foreclosing, undermining your position and get it on more foreclosure radars and get more people interested in thinking of this as a distressed asset. So, so we, go ahead. No, they say with seconds though, I think what people don't realize versus the first is the onesie twosie buyers of first space 
isn't really what you do in seconds, right? You don't buy a one second off here or there. You can, but typically you're buying multiple seconds in a purchase. Would that be correct? Uh, I, I've bought plenty of one-offs. I would always rather buy, buy multiples. I love doing bulk buys. It's just aggregating your risk. If one second may be more risky than one first, but here's the thing for the, for one, for the price of one first, you probably three seconds, <laughs> yeah. just basic diversification, multiple eggs, multiple baskets, multiple different local economies, markets, and, and borrowers, you can just diversify so much more if you're paying 10 or $20,000 per loan. For, I mean, if you're paying 60, 70 cents on the dollar for, for first, even if it's on a $100,000 house, $70,000 for just one house. Mm -hmm. I would so much rather have that diversified over lots of borrowers, lots of houses, and lots of people who have already demonstrated, as you can see in the credit reports, that they want to keep their home and they have some form of income with which they're paying. They have, they just have a, such a greater stake in it. Mm. You know, someone who's got a half a million dollar house has, has bled for that. You know, they probably went to a good college and have a good job and are capable of, of and willing to do what is necessary, including we've had many people who uh, rented out rooms. Like you have a valuable asset. It has income producing uh, capacity. I used to go sleep on the floor and rent out my own bed. You really want to keep your house? That certainly is an option. Yeah. yeah. So it's it's interesting though. On on the one hand, you can buy more assets and spread it out. On the other hand, one of the things like you're talking about is, um, and and maybe I'm wrong. Correct me if I am, but uh, it sounds like you you get into more disputes. Not it, not that it happens all the time, but but a higher percentage of those get into disputes with the borrower. Um, because they're a higher value property and they've got a, a lawyer on speed dial and they've got them on retainer and, and this and that. And that's kind of been one of my strategies is I like the lower end because they don't, you know, it's, it's very unusual that I'll have a borrower fight me on something where I'm, I'm just, I'm going to prove I'm right. And I, I don't want to put anyone through that, frankly, but at, in the end, I know I'm going to win. So it would be, just easier and better if everyone just got along and, and didn't put up a fight. And, and it's, it's very uncommon that I'll have anybody try to, you know, put up some kind of a, a major offensive trying to, trying to take me out. But it sounds like that's something that you, you encounter more often. It does happen though, though it's a very small percentage of the portfolio. And okay. frankly, unless you get a really, really aggressive debtor defense attorney. Yeah. Yeah the debtor's attorney can often be a great ally for you because mm. human beings are just emotional people. Of course, people are scared and upset. They're, they're afraid. They don't know what to do. They call their lawyer. All of a sudden, you have a rational person who can explain things. You know, yeah. if you're in an adversarial position with your borrower, you're telling them you owe me money and they're saying, but I prefer not to pay. You can say, no, 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 this is the law. This is how it works. It's quite another thing their lawyer says. Actually, you took this money. Actually, you have equity in the house. Uh, you can lose your house, you pay, or you, you can file bankruptcy, in which case you <laughs> still end up paying. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. I, yeah, frankly, you know, I love it. Go ahead. 
No, no, no. It's interesting because you're saying a lot of stuff you're dealing with is something that we almost feel like a newbie yet, right? We're not dealing with a lot of stuff you're dealing with. Um, but it, it's the same game, like you said before, of understanding that this is still an asset that you have the legal ability to collect on. You still have that power. And most times seconds aren't the one foreclosing. We know that. Um, but when you do, you have the ability to take that asset back and be subject to it and sell the asset, rent it out, and own the asset, even not without having to take the first out position at all, which I think most people don't even know about. Yeah, the first generally never knows. One time ever, we took back property and you know, we just start start writing checks to the first mortgage. They call us, they're like, guess, guess you foreclosed on it. Thanks for the money. Just <laughs> keep us posted on what's going on. Okay. Have you ever yeah. been in a situation where you bought a second and it was actually a first? Uh, yes, and and we we knew it. Typically, the the bank has got yeah. their huge tape of of junior liens, some of which depends on the bank are are straight up junior lien, second lien. Here's a specific amount, uh, straight amortization, and a great number of home equity lines of credit, which are overwhelmingly seconds. But if you have a house that you own free and clear. The bank would very much welcome you to have a, a home equity line of credit on that house as well. All you have to do is check title. And the bank, when they originated this, they probably did check title, but they're just they're getting rid of what to them is is their junk loans, and they're not looking too closely. It's a lot of work. You've got to go check title, you, and you will occasionally have situations where it was originated as a first. You will very occasionally have situations where. They had a first and they paid it off. I we got an example. We're gonna, yeah. Uh, without too many details, it was a house in the mid Atlantic states. I spoke to the borrower. He had a second. Uh, he was like a fairly smart guy. He bought this house when he was seventeen years old, right at the wow. peak. But like he was a go getter at the time. He was having employment struggles, and we could see the house was a pretty rough house. I think under a hundred thousand dollar house had maybe a $70,000 first and our $30,000 second. We could tell I was underwater. So we tried to contact him and, and without many results. And we thought, we're just gonna let this sit for a while, but we keep checking up on the first and all of a sudden it drops off their credit report and paid in full. Then we're really motivated to talk to the borrower. Like, oh yeah, dad gave me some money to pay it wow. off. Wow. Right? Then all, now all you have to deal with is your new first mortgage. Yeah. Which, which he didn't like very much. Um, <laughs> didn't want to get a job, but eventually did get a job. And his boss was so upset about how unfairly we were treating him that his, that his boss gave him a loan to cash it out. The boss was like, oh, I can't believe you treat people like this. And we treat our customers so much better. Good luck. I hope you enjoy this dealings with this customer. Wow. That's cool. I mean, you know, how often are you calling your borrowers? Nathan does it a lot. Um, I do it from time to time when I feel jumping in assists the situation. How often are you get on the phone call with your borrowers who are not performing? It's a great day when we can get them on the phone. I love talking to borrowers. Uh, like you get so much information. Part of the, the most important thing on that call is listening. Mm -hmm. Yeah, people love to feel validated and listened to. They they're never going to get that from the bank. They discover quickly this is this is a very different situation they've been facing before. Someone who's going to consider their individual circumstances. We had a borrower in the Bay Area. Normally, we do you got two years to sort yourself out and figure out this problem. This problem which you originated, and we are helping you with. 
-hmm. And he's like, listen, I got, I got my last daughter graduates from college in three years. It's going to be hard for us to, to make all of her, her college payments and get our credit and, and savings in good shape. Can you give us three years? Because they explain and documented a very specific situation. And that the three years was up, I think, May of 2020, when they called again after making every payment on time, every time, and before their loan came to maturity and said, listen, it's a little bit hard to refinance right now. Uh, we're facing pretty uncertain unemployment. They have a specific reason. They kept up to date with us on what's going on. Wow. We made sure they're still paying the first mortgage and we got insurance on the property. Of course, we'll extend it. You know, we're yeah. getting substantial, like this is like an $800 monthly payment also. Awesome. Yeah. I, don't, I don't mind too much. That's awesome. But I would always rather have them cash out. You, know, you buy at a discount, yep. you get cashed out in full, wash, rinse, repeat, and buy more loans. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's awesome. I love it. Me too. I love talking to the borrowers. You get so much information and you get the story behind the default. And if the story really makes sense and if especially if they can document it then yeah for sure yeah i'll work with you absolutely yeah. and they are so grateful and they are so you know overwhelmed that somebody actually stopped to listen to them which is a huge deal yeah. we feel bad when we a- can't make the deal happen we've been in a situation where you just can't the numbers yeah. don't work and it's like yeah. you feel bad and yeah. i think that emotion comes off like i wish i could help you and they are appreciative of you giving an effort yeah. So I, I, I would love to talk with you guys about a thing that I recently discovered yeah. for people with a lot of equity. There's this a product that's been around 20-ish years, shared appreciation mortgages. I discovered this sure. this year, I found some modifications of the first mortgage. I love modified first mortgages, right? Because they got sweet terms. You know, if you want a good mortgage, you have to have great credit, lots of reserve. To get a great mortgage, what? 2% for 40 years and some forgiveness, mm-hmm. you have to default on your loan. So mm-hmm. you inherit that, those benefits if you're buying sure. a second on a house where they modified the first mortgage. Whether or not you take it back, the borrower is paying less per month on the first mortgage, leaving them more available uh, income to pay for other things. And God forbid you did have to take it back. 2% money? I, I, if you guys can go to the bank and get 2% money, please advise me on how to make this happen. Yeah. Otherwise, I, I'm going to enjoy these these benefits in my own portfolio. So, yeah. the, so these shared appreciation mortgages, some of the first, and I think they got in a bit of trouble with this. And you can see debtor defense attorneys might argue with this when it's when it comes to you know when they've received the benefit of something and time comes to pay the cost. But the, these first mortgages that I've seen modified with Aquin, they get a cut of the appreciation. They say, all right, here's the value today that we've agreed on. And when you sell it, refinance, you owe us, you know, 25% of the pre- appreciation beyond this point. So there are also many companies who originate shared appreciation mortgages, usually as seconds, and they will just give borrowers cash with no payments. Some of them go out 10 years, some of them go out 30 years. It's the exact same second strategy that I'm talking about. You participate in the upside. And these companies, they have a much lower credit threshold. You know, I, I called one up, like, I got to see if this is real. Mm-hmm. Their, credit, their credit threshold, no bankruptcies or foreclosures in the past five years, and you have to have 600 FICO, and we will send you cash. <laughs> Holy smoke. Do you think anyone would be interested in, like, getting a lot of money but not 
making payments. This what is, kind of yeah. rates are they given? Uh, it's it's difficult to see. You know, you have to enter every single detail for your own home before they'll yeah, okay. they'll tell you how much. They're typically taking um, ten to twenty percent of the appreciation in the future. But it's a great system for the investors in that thing too, because they're for a fraction of the price of the home. Mm-hmm. You know, their proportion of the appreciation they get is is going to end up being more than than what they would get you know just investing at six seven eight percent in the stock market on that same mm-hmm. money it's a very long-term investment just like i talked about right you yeah. put under ten thousand dollars today you get sixty thousand in five years yeah. that is a hundred percent rate of return you have to have that staying power right you could and it's like the golden goose right you can kill the goose if you want foreclose press the foreclosure and collection now when they don't have the capacity to pay or, or, or get in touch with them. You know, hey, I lost my job. Lots of people lost their job. There are other jobs. You, you give people a chance to get back on their feet. It's better for both of you. Well, I may be persuaded to buy some seconds in my personal portfolio, but I don't know that I would do it for my investors. But it's very interesting. I think you're right. I think it's something that, you know, we've always been stuck with buying performing seconds, right? We, if we bought a second, it's always, ah, oh, the performer, because I don't want to sit there and wait for, you know, shelving for three years. Um, but you're right. If you have long-term money, I mean, this is good stuff for like, even like if you can get into college savings, stuff that for your kids, like sure. it's a great method to do that kind of stuff. IRA money, right? Where you can sit there and get the returns are astronomical if you can hold on for a while. And you're right, you're buying for cheaper than we're buying first all day long. And if you go to sell it, you're, you're still going to get a decent money right now. Um, and with appreciation still going up, which is shocking everybody, that still makes it more valuable because you're getting more and more equity. And so even if appreciation stops, I mean, say it tracks inflation. I, yep. Inflation, I, I suspect the inflation counted and documented today is just is not reflecting reality. 20% of the dollars mm-hmm. in existence in the known universe were printed last year. Yeah. Yeah. We, I'm, we're not seeing inflation that reflects that, yeah. which is to say no one's telling us about inflation that reflects that. Yeah. But you make more of something, it devalues all the other things that are, and, yeah. and it inflates the value of all the other things as measured in that denomination. Lumber just hit an all-time high as, uh, alongside the stock market and Bitcoin. Yeah. You can leverage your portfolio more. The same $100,000 is going to buy you a share of a lot more houses and a lot more of that lumber if you're investing, making small investments in multiple seconds instead of putting that all into one first. We also have all this concentrated risk in just one property in one area. Very interesting. So uh, I've asked a couple of people, but what do you see? What's your crystal ball prediction for uh, COVID fallout? Uh, my best crystal ball, like the new administration. Yeah. They saw Biden was there with Obama the entire time. They, they're going to be a lot of government measures to prevent an avalanche of foreclosures, some of which are going to be like asking the taxpayers for more, not that popular, or just printing more money to solve the problem, but also going to be to try and solve the problem. You know, it's easy to say, oh, there's all these foreclosures. It's the bank's fault. If they just wouldn't foreclose, 
we wouldn't have this problem. So you can have yeah. regulations that make it more difficult. That's, mm. I, states, many states are already doing it. I just see this as an inevitable reality. Argue with it if you want, but mm -hmm. uh, agree with reality and develop your strategy accordingly, I think is a much better way to succeed. Wow, that's an interesting so, spin on that, yeah. I'm going to share this with you guys. Some of the more questions we got. I'm going to wrap it up in a few minutes, but I just want to make sure we get these questions. Well, I'm distracted. My apologies. So those are two questions we got from Ray. Ray. Yeah. I, I'm seeing on here on, on the chat, what was the primary source of your second liens? That you bought one off. I've seen pools only. We do have uh, we have a couple of brokers that we work closely with that are that just they have very good SEO for their websites and are and then are buying seller carry second mortgages. You know their bread and butter is the first, so they yep. they send them to me. Um, Ray also says ten to twenty percent appreciation. Just change my concerns about a lien lien being a depreciation depreciating asset. I can't, I don't have exact crystal ball about how much the real estate market is going to appreciate, but in, in inflation is just a very real thing. It just happens, it's happened over the entire course of history of the US dollar. I have every reason to believe it's going to continue. And frankly, even if the real estate values stayed the same and there was no inflation, you got your seconds. As long as people are paying that first mortgage, your equity is increasing because they're paying it down, even if the value of the house uh, does not, but like True. just timeless fundamentals of human existence and nature. People like to live indoors. There are not enough houses to house the people of this country that, that yeah. want their private space. Uh, the value of housing has just also gone up with Zoomtown, COVID. I've been working from home office since 2015. It's wow. pretty awesome. I commute, yeah. I got some really nice slippers, very comfy. <laughs> Even better than being in traffic, people can live anywhere, and 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 many of the best jobs, highest paying jobs, are those that you can do remotely. I would much rather have people who are successful people in finance. Uh, I was about to say law. <laughs> to be honest, generally rather not have lawyers in in the portfolio, <laughs> but highly paid successful professionals who can now work and live from wherever they want. Yeah. Number one, I think one of the number one most appreciating states now is Idaho, where people are just taking their portable jobs to go live somewhere more affordable with wow. uh, a lot fewer of the of the social problems that, that you see in virtually all large coastal cities. I do see in New Jersey, we have a lot of people moving out of New York City and moving into Central Jersey just for that reason. I could sell my million dollar house in Brooklyn, move to Central Jersey, buy four or $500,000 house, work from home, save a ton of money, and I'm fine. And that is happening quite a bit. Yeah, an enormous phenomenon. And people are investing more in their in improvements on their houses as well to make it, you know, this is your home and your office. So yeah. more nice rural properties are, are have increasing cachet because of the Zoomtown phenomena. After, you know, the era of McMansions in the mid 2000s, 
people were building smaller houses mm -hmm. just as a place to live because they still had an office to go to. Mm -hmm. Yeah, seeing a trend in bigger houses again because you need to have a comfortable office yeah. and working space. You're there all the time. Yeah, yeah, that's amazing. So, no, I was just saying, like, how, how can people reach out and you know and get in contact with you? What are you doing? Are you doing any kind of? Are you speaking anywhere? Are you doing kind of reach out to people that are investors who may be the beginner or middle level who just want to learn more? So I do, I'm not really in the education business. I you, The number one way you can go to is notedfinancial.com. Sign up to subscribe. I have a lot of free education materials. I have my list of every book that uh, I know in the business that describes it. I have hours of YouTube videos of case studies and specific examples of how, uh, how I do it. But I don't, you know, I'm just not, and I'm too busy doing it to really do coaching and education. Yeah. I do it. A lot of people have been very generous in teaching me in this business. And I love to pay it forward, but um, I don't really have time to do like a coaching uh, coaching program, but I have everything of, you know, my public speaking. I just make it free for people. It's on my YouTube. Um, I normally speak at paper source, paper source every year since 2014. Mm -hmm. And um uh, normally I speak at IMN conferences. So that is where people can reach me at notedfinancial.com. And I, I was going to tell the, just a, a quick Gordon Moss shout out. So I told you I read his book and that's how I understood seconds. Now here's how I got the book. It was at a paper source conference and he says, okay, I got a trivia question. Whoever answers right can get a copy of the book. So the question was, who is the greatest boxer of all time? Any thoughts? <laughs> Don't really I'm, curious what you're, I'm curious what you're going to say, Rocky or something. <laughs> the first name that came to my head was Rocky. And I'm like, Rocky. Got it. <laughs> you got it. Wow. So not, That's funny. Or, not, you know, George Foreman, any of those guys. <laughs> guys, thank you very much for the opportunity. I, I, I have another meeting that I just realized I am late to. Yeah. Well, thank you very much for joining yeah, in thanks, here, man. Heather. Reach out, let us know, post your stuff in the uh, box and we'll go from there. Okay. Thanks. It's been a pleasure. Awesome. Take care, guys. Thanks, Bye -bye. Sean.